I've just pulled into the parking lot of a CVS pharmacy to look at a billboard. So there it is. There it is. Um, it bright pink bright background pink with the close-up of a concerned-seeming woman looking into the distance. It says, pregnant, we can help. Then it gives their phone number, and at the bottom it just says, women's care center, free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests. The person showing me this billboard is Brandy David. 26 years old, works as a property researcher at a title company. And after driving by this billboard hundreds of times in her life, one day, two years ago, she called that phone number when she found herself pregnant and needing help. My first thought was, oh my God, damn it, no. Just all of those things, just all at once. I'd been using protection and I was just like, why, why, why? Brandy was in her first year of graduate school barely making ends meet already. And she says she immediately knew she was in no position to have a baby. I couldn't afford it. I was not dating the gentleman in question. I'm already in the hole from student debt while I'm in school. I would still be trying to finish up school. And I'm just trying to imagine, it's like, how could I make that happen? And then how could I ever get ahead of it and maintain that child's life and make sure it lives and gets food and all of that? Brandy says she knew she wanted an abortion. And she thought she knew where she could get one. Women's Care Center, that place with the billboard she kept driving by. When she went to the website, it said the center offered information about abortions. There was even a little video message. If you are pregnant, knowing how far along you are will determine the kind of care you need or the type and cost of an abortion. Get, Get the, the answers, answers and support you, you need, need, the lady in the video said. This journey along. Email a counselor right now or call and make an appointment So I called the number. Brandy set up an appointment, came in as soon as she could. And it's set up in this beautiful old house, very homey. I walked in, saw how pink and fluffy everything in that room was. At the appointment, she made it clear why she was there. I told them pretty much flat out, like, I'm interested in getting an abortion. I knew that until I was financially ready, not in school, all of that just wasn't going to be an option. Brandy says she was hoping there was still time for a medical abortion, the kind with a pill, which you can only do in the early weeks of pregnancy. The lady was very friendly, supportive, but when I said that I wanted an abortion, she kind of shied away from that. Um, She would just kind of keep telling me, like, well, we can get to that. Adoption's an option. There are other things that we can talk about. You know, we'll get to that sooner or later. But her counselor never did get to that. In fact, Brandy didn't know it at the time, but there was no way she would receive an abortion at Women's Care Center or even get a referral for an abortion. Because it turns out Women's Care Center is what some call a crisis pregnancy center, a pregnancy resource center with a specific mission that includes steering women away from having an abortion. It also turns out the center Brandy went to and its anti-abortion efforts have been partly funded since late 2014 by federal welfare dollars through the program Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Welcome to the uncertain hour, where the things we fight the most about are the things we know the least about. I'm Chrissy Clark, senior correspondent for Marketplace's Wealth and Poverty Desk, and this is our new podcast, all about making sense of making it in America. This season, we're going deep into one topic, welfare. Cash welfare for poor families. How does it work? 
who does it and doesn't it help? Two decades after welfare reform, when a Republican Congress passed a bill and a Democratic president signed it. Ending welfare as we know it. What is welfare today? We've been trying to answer this question over the last several episodes. And I should say, if you haven't listened to them yet, you should. It'll all make more sense that way. But here's a little refresher. The cash welfare system for poor families was overhauled 20 years ago and given a new name, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TANF. One of the biggest changes, rather than TANF money going directly to families who demonstrate need, the money goes to states in the form of block grants. And states have a lot of flexibility about how they can use those grants. Today, nationwide, of the $16.5 billion in TANF money, about a quarter goes to poor families in the form of cash assistance. About a quarter goes to job training and child care for poor families. And the rest is all over the map, literally. In the last few episodes, we've gone on a little road trip to see how money is spent state by state. We've been to Oklahoma, where some welfare money goes to marriage and relationship classes. We're drawing a bicycle to show all the different phases of a relationship. We've been to Michigan, where some welfare money goes to financial aid for students from middle and upper middle class families at private colleges. We're looking at uh, basically one side of our small, one square mile campus. In this episode, we head to Indiana. It's one of a handful of states, including Pennsylvania, Texas, Missouri, and North Dakota, where a small portion of welfare money goes to funding pregnancy resource centers that offer alternatives to abortion. Now, before we go any further, let me acknowledge that abortion is one of those intense emotional issues that probably every one of you listening right now has strong feelings about. Right now, in this story, we're going to look at a very specific question— the role of spending some federal welfare money on these alternatives to abortion centers. I thought that I would start by just giving you a tour. Centers like this one. So this is just our waiting room. Earlier this spring, I got a tour of a women's care center in South Bend, Indiana, the place where Brandy David had tried and failed to get information about an abortion. My guide was Jenny Hunsberger vice president of the center, and the voice in that video on their website. When clients come in, we have our waiting rooms at all of our centers set up very much like living rooms because we just want people to feel welcomed and cared for and comfortable and safe. Brandy was right. It's very pink, very homey. I'll just walk you through quickly. Plush chairs and soothing music. There's an ultrasound room, a store where expectant mothers can get free and discounted baby items. Car seats, cribs, pack and plays, strollers. And there are counseling rooms where Women's Care Center staff talk with clients who've come in seeking help with an unexpected pregnancy, offer them alternatives to abortion. And where those counselors are reimbursed for those sessions by the minute with federal welfare dollars. So we have, at this office, we have three counseling rooms. We go into one of these counseling rooms, more comfy chairs, and along one wall, a shelf with models of fetuses. These are sort of demonstration. This is like different sizes of the fetus. Yeah, so we would have, uh, in most of our counseling offices, we would have fetal models. So when women come to us and they're not sure how far along they are, if you have a model, you can show someone. 
Jenny tells me this network of women's care centers has been around for more than 30 years. It was founded by a Catholic professor. Really, our, our work is very simple. We provide unconditional, sustained, concrete, and substantial support to women facing unexpected pregnancies so that they can become great moms and have healthy babies. Women can receive help from Jenny's Center through their pregnancy and up to 12 months after they give birth. The typical client, Jenny says, is poor. Almost all qualify for federal programs like Medicaid. Nearly 80% are single moms. 25% don't have a high school diploma. 40% are fully unemployed. So our clients have hard lives. I asked her... If a woman like Brandy, the grad student, feels like she just can't afford to have a child and says she wants an abortion, would you refer them to an abortion clinic? What I would say is we would be here if if any woman said said that. Whatever whatever a woman says, we would say to her, we are here for you before your decision during your decision, and after your decision, regardless of what your decision is. But am I correct that you would not refer them? What I would say is that, that what we say to women is, is we are here for you before, during, and after. And, and the decision is yours. I just want to make sure I'm clear, but but would you ever refer them to a clinic? No. Correct. Or am I wrong? No. What I would say is we would we would be here for you. And what I would say to a woman is I would be here for you before, during, and after the decision is yours. So you're not going to give me the information, but you will tell me that you will be here for me. We will be here for you. We will be here for you always. We are... We are here to serve you. And though Jenny wouldn't say it explicitly, it's written into the contract with the state of Indiana that in order to receive TANF money, federal welfare money, centers like hers are forbidden from referring people to abortion clinics. Those are the conditions of their government funding. In case you were wondering, current law prevents federal money of any kind from funding abortions except in cases of rape or incest or when the pregnancy will endanger the woman's life. But here in Indiana, the state spends federal money on efforts to steer women away from abortions. Specifically, over the last year, it's allocated three and a half million federal welfare dollars to organizations like Women's Care Center. There's a common critique of single mothers on welfare that goes like this. If you're too poor to support a child, you shouldn't be having one in the first place. And so I asked Jenny why welfare dollars should be used to help and encourage poor, often single mothers, to have children. She said her program is more than that. Besides the free ultrasounds and pregnancy counseling, they offer parenting classes, nutrition classes, and life goal-setting workshops. All this, she says, it really helps build families that are more self-sufficient, families that have more opportunity. So in that way, it's very appropriate. The center also actively connects women to charities and government services. Make sure that she 
has all of the resources she needs to navigate the Medicaid system, that she signed up for WIC, which is the federal nutrition program for pregnant women and children. And food stamps. And, of course, cash welfare, TANF. They help women fill out the forms, follow up with caseworkers. If we need to make phone calls on her behalf, we'll make those phone calls. If we need to sit with her as she makes the phone calls, we'll sit with her as she makes the phone calls. The whole idea of putting federal welfare dollars into places like Women's Care Center got its start with a nonprofit organization called Real Alternatives. It's based in Pennsylvania. I don't have the money to even support myself right now. How am I going to afford a car and gas and baby food? This is one of many promotional videos put out by Real Alternatives. How am I going to do this was probably the biggest question that came through my head. It features the voices of women who came into an alternative to abortion center considering an abortion, but ended up keeping their baby. I was an addict for seven years. I was four months pregnant. I was in active addiction while I was pregnant. But they kept telling me, they would help me, whether it be find an apartment, a job. Today, Real Alternatives serves as an intermediary between local centers like Women's Care Center and federal temporary assistance for needy families dollars. Real Alternatives sets up contracts with state governments and funnels part of their federal welfare block grants to these local centers. The welfare money comes in the form of reimbursements to the centers for specific services, like counseling pregnant women and food and clothing donations. You don't have to choose abortion if you don't have housing. The CEO of Real Alternatives, Kevin Bagata, also makes an appearance in the videos. You don't have to choose abortion if you're under financial burdens. You don't have to choose abortion if you don't want to choose abortion. There will be people in this state your fellow citizens, who will reach out and help you. We reached out repeatedly to Bogata for an interview, but he declined. He pointed us to the FAQ on his group's website and sent us a statement pointing out that according to their calculations, they save taxpayers in Pennsylvania and Indiana millions of dollars by connecting women with things like prenatal care and immunizations. While we couldn't reach anyone at Real Alternatives, we did speak with this man. My name is Jerry Berman. I was a member of the Pro-Life Caucus in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives for 22 years. Jerry Bermelin, now retired, was serving as a Republican state legislator in Pennsylvania when the federal welfare reform bill passed in 1996. Soon after that, Pennsylvania became the first state to funnel some of the money from the new welfare program, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, towards alternatives to abortion groups, like Real Alternatives. We, in the pro-life movement, saw that there was TANF funds available, and that was one of the reasons why we created the organization is because we knew that it could access the TANF funding. As Jerry said this, it could access the TANF funding, I started thinking about those four purposes. Remember them from the last few episodes? The ones that all federal welfare spending has to fit under? To provide assistance to needy families. To end the dependence of needy parents on government benefits by promoting job preparation and work. To prevent and reduce out-of-wedlock pregnancies. To encourage the formation of two-parent families. Given those purposes, I wondered how states justified putting welfare money into alternatives to abortion programs. On the one hand, these programs do provide assistance to poor pregnant women and their soon-to-be families. So that could fall under purpose one. On the other hand, 
These programs encourage many poor single moms to have kids. And two of the main goals of the federal welfare law are to prevent out-of-wedlock marriage and promote the formation of two-parent families. So I started asking around. In Indiana, the Family and Social Services Administration sent us a statement saying that alternatives to abortion programs encourage the formation and maintenance of two-parent families while, quote, providing pregnancy support services to expectant parents. In Pennsylvania, I found an explanation on page six of a state contract with Real Alternatives, a couple of wordy sentences that I'll just read here. Alternatives to abortion services, quote, maintain and encourage the formation of stable one-parent families, which impart the same skills necessary in two-parent families. Imparting those skills helps to improve one's confidence in their parenting abilities and encourages the formation of two-parent families in the future, if that is appropriate and possible for the woman and her baby. End quote. Of course, once you get past all the complicated language, at their heart, these rationales for why some welfare money should go to alternative to abortion centers ultimately come down to a few simple questions. Who is in need and how best to help them? And I wondered what Jerry Bermlin, the former Pennsylvania state representative, thought about those questions. Some critics might say, should we be encouraging people who don't think they can afford a child right now to have a child? Does that just create more need in, the soci in society? Yeah, and I don't think the answer is ever to kill the children just so they don't have to be on welfare. I, I don't agree with that philosophy. I think life is very precious and ought to be protected, and Real Alternatives helps to do that. And I do not accept the argument that uh, we should just have them have their abortion so they're not on welfare. I, I feel that's very dehumanizing. Jerry's also a fiscal conservative. He believes in limited government spending, shrinking government programs. So, yes, he thinks that it makes sense for welfare dollars to go to alternative to abortion centers. But, he cautions, It's not the taxpayer's responsibility to raise everybody's children for them, and I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is if you go through a crisis pregnancy and you really need help for a short period of time, usually it's only a few months, and I think we should be in the business of helping these people through those crisis pregnancies and, and getting them back on their feet. There seems to be, on this part of some people... Dalen Leach is a Democratic state senator in Pennsylvania. A great, profound concern for the health, well-being, and welfare of a fetus until the moment it's born. Uh, and then, you know, suddenly uh, the concern goes away. Dalen says it's not that he's against the idea of a pregnancy resource center that doesn't provide abortions. I have no problem if there's an organization that says, we don't provide abortions and we uh, will encourage you to do something other than have an abortion and we will provide you comfort and whatever, whatever else it may be. I fully support uh, organizations like that existing. But he says they shouldn't be funded with welfare dollars. As you know, these dollars are finite, and the demand for services for the poor dramatically outstrips the resources that we dedicate to helping the poor. And so given finite resources and given tight budgets, is this the best use for it? Absolutely not. Politicians have their opinions. But then there are the people who've had firsthand experience with these alternatives to abortion centers. 
people like Brandy David, the woman who went to a women's care center in Indiana, thinking she could get information about an abortion there. I told her about the fact that the center was partly funded by welfare dollars. That's just not okay, dude. Like, find something else. Like, there are a million other things that it could go to. It could go to supporting the children that are a result of this. As for Brandy's particular situation, she did eventually realize that the center she went to was not going to help her with an abortion. She called a Planned Parenthood in another state to help her find a clinic that did provide them. It was actually just a few doors down from the first center she'd gone to, Women's Care Center. It's common for alternatives to abortion centers to open up right next to abortion clinics. In a Women's Care Center newsletter, this is referred to as the next door saves lives approach. Looking back on her experience, Brandy says she has no regrets about her choice to end her pregnancy. I never really wavered from that. I still think it was the best decision. I thought it was then. I've always thought it was. But she says she still feels angry about her experience with Women's Care Center. If they'd even just said, we can't help you get an abortion and sent me on my way, I would have been frustrated, but I would have handled it way better. It's like, okay, I know I need to go a different way, and I wouldn't have wasted potentially two to three weeks. Had I not decided to call that Planned Parenthood, I never probably would have found out. I don't know what I would have done at that point. My name is Mary McGiffin. I'm 26. Mary McGiffin had a really different experience when she stumbled onto a women's care center in South Bend four years ago. She was a senior in college, pregnant and scared. She made an appointment at an abortion clinic, but got confused about where it was and walked into the women's care center down the street. Because it's the first thing that you come upon that might be where you're looking to go. That's uh, where I walked in first. She went to the front desk, explained that she was there to discuss getting an abortion. The woman at the desk said, we don't offer that service here, but we do offer counseling for women who may be in your position. Do you want to talk to someone? And it was then that I realized that this was a you know, crisis pregnancy care center and immediately just burst into tears of relief that I had not gone as, as far into my scary plan as, as I thought I was going to. That day, she got a free ultrasound. So he was just a little lima bean <laughs> and a fluttering little heart cavity that, you know, when they ran the wand over, you could listen to the heartbeat. But Mary says the real turning point in her decision about what to do came a little while later. One night, I stayed up all night with an Excel spreadsheet, working out a budget for the next 20 years <laughs> to see if it was at least possible that I would be able to send a child to college. If I had to do it by myself, could I still do it? Which sounds insane, and my roommates probably thought I was insane, but I just needed to know that it was possible even if we you know, lived very meagerly. <laughs> she decided it was possible. Did you take a nap? Yeah. Her no, son is now not. three years old. Did not take a nap. <laughs> You've been playing your guitar. She and his father got married and have since had two more kids. I have they both work and say financially they're doing fine. Mary says she's grateful for the role Women's Care Center played in her life. She thinks anything that would help women have more resources during pregnancy should get funding. 
But she says that's not where support should end. The goal is not simply to save the baby, but to save the life. That life is going to grow up. You need to be able to have communities and governments that will support that kind of choice because a lack of feasibility for making a family and raising your child is what causes a lot of abortions to happen in the first place. Mary says she sees both alternatives to abortion centers and traditional cash welfare as pro-life. In the state where Mary lived, Indiana, eight out of every hundred poor families gets cash assistance. About $290 a month is the average amount that goes to a single-parent family of three. That's it for this episode of The Uncertain Hour. We'll be back in two weeks with more. It will be our last episode of the season. We'll be looking at how people balance higher education and work in a post-welfare reform world. Well, I couldn't go to school and work and go to their work program. There was just no way out of it, so one had to go. And I had to obviously leave school to continue working to support my three children. The Uncertain Hour happens this week because of producer Caitlin Esch, senior editor Nancy Fargali, engineer Ben Tolliday, Mark Miller is the managing editor, Sitara Nieves is the executive producer, and Deborah Clark is the vice president of Marketplace. Special thanks this week to Deb George for editing help. I'm Chrissy Clark, senior correspondent with Marketplace's Wealth and Poverty Desk. We are supported by the Ford Foundation. And I'll say it one more time. Thank you so much for all the awesome reviews you've been tweeting at us and putting in iTunes. They really help us continue the work that we're doing. Please keep them coming. We're at MP Wealth Poverty. This is APM. 